From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for tuning in to this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre created a firestorm yesterday responding to a reporter's question about the rising level of anti-Semitism. What is this level of concern right now about the potential rise of anti-Semitism in light of everything that's going on in Israel? So a couple of things. Um, look, um, uh, we have not seen uh, any credible uh, threats. I know there's been always questions about uh, credible threats. Uh, and so I uh, just want to make sure that that's out there. But look, uh, Muslim and those perceived uh, to be Muslim have endured a disproportionate uh, number of hate-fueled attacks. And certainly President Biden understands that many of our Muslim Arab, Arab Americans and Palestinian American loved ones and neighbors are worried about the hate being directed at their communities. Well, today it was cleanup on White House aisle. I want to make something clear uh, at the top because I understand how important uh, moral clarity is, especially at this time. So when Jews are targeted because of their beliefs, or their identity, when Israel is singled out because of anti-Jewish hatred, that is anti-Semitism. Well, to be honest, we really don't look to the White House for moral clarity anyway. We'll get reaction on this and the Southern Poverty Law Center's employee union coming out in support of Hamas. We're going to get a reaction from Rabbi Yaakov Minkin, Managing Director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. And once again, House Republicans find themselves stuck in the pursuit of a speaker. Minnesota Congressman Tom Emmer narrowly beat out Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson in a closed-door meeting of Republicans earlier today to become their nominee. But his controversial vote supporting same-sex marriage and transgenderism left him far short of the 217 votes he needed on the House floor. So, just moments ago, Emmer pulled his name from consideration. This means that Congressman Mike Johnson and possibly Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma are back in the running. We'll get an update later from Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe. And the Senate scare leader, Chuck Schumer, is pushing President Biden's demand for $105 billion for Ukraine, Israel, and the border, with the lion's share going to Ukraine. We must pass this supplemental as soon as we can, with bipartisan support, for a simple and important reason. It will make the world safer for the United States, for our allies, and for our democratic values. Well, a number of Republican senators, led by Kansas Senator Roger Marshall, are saying, hey, not so fast. They're calling for the funding measures to be separate, standalone measures. Senator Marshall joins us in just a moment. One aspect of the $105 billion Biden plan is $6.4 billion for the border. But is it really for security? This is not a serious proposal. Some of the proposed spending is actually harmful, and the positive aspects are just window dressing. The president needs to get serious about the border, and what he sent us is not serious. That was Texas Senator John Cornyn pointing out money is not the problem on the southern border. It's failed policy. He joins us later. The website, TonyPerkins.com, lots of resources there for you. Be sure and visit TonyPerkins.com. Our word for today comes from Chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Philippians. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because Jesus humbled himself before all, God is exalting him above all. To find out more about our Bible reading plan, go to frc.org slash Bible. Well, as the clashes in Israel intensify with Israeli regiments poised to enter Gaza for what could be weeks of sustained urban warfare, President Biden continues to push for over $100 billion in emergency spending, with some of that money sent to support Israel's battle against the Hamas terrorist organization. But, but, there are growing concerns in both chambers of Congress over the president's effort to link support for Israel to more than $60 billion in additional funding for Ukraine. Would such a link delay getting the urgently needed help to Israel? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas. He serves on four committees, including the Senate Committee on Homeland Security and Government Affairs, as well as the Senate Budget Committee. Senator Marshall, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to see you again. Well, you've been the leader of the Senate effort to keep support for Israel separate from other spending. I mean, when you look at the bulk of this $60 billion going to Ukraine on top of everything else we've given them, this is a little controversial. Could this delay the needed support that Israel is uh, looking to us for? You nailed it, Tony. Uh, Once again, President Biden has found a way to to take something that could unify Congress and to divide us. You know, I'm sure like you, since my earliest days, I remember my mom, my Sunday school teacher saying, we stand beside Israel. And Israel needs to know that we unequivocally stand beside them. But the same cannot be said about the Ukraine funding. As I kind of paint the big picture here for your listeners, I want to just point out that President Reagan gave us peace through strength, but Joe Biden is giving us war through weakness. And that's where we are right now. We have two different situations. In Israel, what we have is this Hamas army of terror viciously, brutally, savagely attacked the people of Israel. We have a war there that are probably last weeks, maybe months, but this is a war for the sake of humanity. The situation in Ukraine, much different. That's the war that's going to probably last seven, eight, or nine years. It's going to cost a trillion dollars of American uh, dollars as well. And we don't all support it. And I can tell you that President Biden's bill is dead on arrival on the House side. There's even less support for the Ukraine funding. So Joe Biden's policy is going to slow down the process. We have a very clear understanding of what Israel wants to do. They want to eliminate the threat of of Hamas. That means they want to clean out Gaza from being under the thumb of Hamas. We don't have the same clarity when it comes to Ukraine. 
Yeah, that, that's exactly right, Tony. Uh, again, there's a very clear stated mission is that we need to eliminate Hamas. And again, this is a battle for the future of, huma of humanity. Ukraine, it's not quite as black and white right now. Uh, so, and, and then we haven't you know, touched on Iran. I just want to touch on Iran really quickly here that Iran is the head of the snake. There's no moral clarity coming out of the president when it comes to Iran either. They are the financier. They're the puppeter. They're the armor. They're the ones that, that direct all these uh, proxy wars that are going on right now. And that's the bigger picture is we need to snap back all of our maximum sanctions onto Iran right now. We may have to even have some type of a retaliation when they attack our American troops as well. Remember, Iran's just another bully, but we're going to have to hit them in the nose at some point and let them know that, that we're not going to stand for this. We're not going to stand as Hezbollah and their other puppets get into this battle. Uh, Senator Marshall, let's talk about that for just a moment. You you sit uh, on, on one of the money committees. We, you, you track where this money is going. You just mentioned the $6 billion that we unfroze. Now, it, it has not gone into their hands yet, but they know it's there in the bank. Um, but then look at the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, which has received billions of dollars from the United States. To me, this looks schizophrenic. We're, we're fighting them on one hand, but giving them money on the other. Right. And Tony, there's more aid to Hamas in this particular legislation of Joe Biden's as well. Um, let's think about what's happened under President Joe Biden. I, I don't know about, about you, but I don't think you can be pro-Israel and pro-Iran. You have to choose one or the other. So under Joe Biden, he's empowered their nuclear weapon program. He's uh, unfrozen this $6 billion that you mentioned. Three months ago, he unfroze $10 billion. And he's now allowing them to sell $1 billion of oil every week. The final point I'll make is this, is that under Joe Biden, Iran's reserves have went from $6 billion to $60 billion dollars. This is what's happening under Joe Biden's watch. He's allowed Iran to once again to be a force, to be a power. Um, and again, you have to choose one or the other. You have to choose Israel or you have to choose Iran. Iran is the one that says death to Israel, death to America. Uh, Senator, if I'm not mistaken, there was a, earlier today a classified briefing on the threat from Iran. And I know you, you've got to be careful in what you share, but uh, are you concerned about the the threat of Iran as we stand with Israel. Could we see this spin into a global conflict? You know, absolutely it could be. Iran does not know if this president has any red lines, and I'm afraid that they, they could be right. And that's why I'm saying we need to retaliate and teach them a lesson. We need to hit the bully across the nose really hard the next time they do anything whatsoever. So as long as we have ships in harm's way, which we do, um, you know, it's very possible that one of those drones or one of those underwater attacks get through. So, so of course, I'm very, very concerned about the situation there. Um, and again, here's Joe Biden leading with weakness. We have war because of Joe Biden's weakness. I mean, we've seen attacks on our troops in uh, Syria and Iraq since this conflict with Hamas has begun. And so we know it's real. I think you're absolutely right. I think under the, the Trump administration, uh, even under the Bush administration, you would see that type of response to send a message. I'm not quite sure, as you said, what the red line is, what is the trigger for the Biden administration to actually act in the interest of the United States. Yeah. 
Tony, we're all looking for that red line. We're looking some type of clarity from this president, some type of priorities. What what exactly do you do you or I even yet understand what the president's priorities under this situation? To me, the priorities should be very, very clear. Is number one, we want to get all the Americans back safely. We need to secure our southern border, by the way. We need to cut the head off the snake of Iran and we need to eliminate Hamas. Have you heard that clarity yet come from Joe Biden? We need a president who's going to put our first, our best, uh, best foot forward to stand with peace through strength. Look, I'm not a warmonger. I don't right. want this war. But let's let's face it. Over the next days, weeks, and months, it's going to get really ugly there in the Gaza Strip. And Israel needs to know that we have their back that unequivocally that we're going to stand with them. And why other TV stations may be showing the horrors of war, uh, I would just close with saying what President Eisenhower said, is that, that I hate the atrocities of war as only a soldier who lived it can. But the blood of every person from October 7th onward, the blood of every person, every innocent civilians is on the hands of Hamas and Iran. Right. You're absolutely right. Uh, I, I would say I wish this president had the same clarity on issues such as this as he does for abortion, the whole LGBTQ agenda, and climate. That seems to be the only three issues this administration has clarity on. It's uh, frightening. Um, Senator Roger Marshall, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you, Tony. And, and folks, a matter of prayer. You know, we need to be praying because God can turn the hearts of kings as he turns the rivers of waters. And I do pray for the president. I do regularly because I want him to make the right decisions, even if it's contrary to his own intellect and will, so that it will be good for all of us that we might dwell in peace. That's what the scripture tells us to do. All right, coming up next, there's more to the $100 billion plus proposal, including the border. But is it really security? John Cornyn joins us next. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. 
It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Just a reminder, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has uh, just released a new proposed rule that would undermine sex-segregated spaces and stifle free speech in the workplace by expanding the definition of what constitutes workplace harassment. All right, short for this, if you, lose, if you use the wrong pronoun, you could be in trouble. This is the Biden administration. You have until November the 1st to file a comment, and and we encourage all of you to do so. We've made it very easy for you. All you need to do is text the word speech to 67742. That's 67742, the word speech, or go to frcaction.org slash free speech. Go to TonyPerkins.com. All right, the Biden administration's request for emergency funding that I discussed last segment also includes uh, about $14 billion in spending that the White House has designated for, quote-unquote, strengthening border security and enforcement. But, but a closer look at the Biden administration's plan for this spending reveals it mm, may not achieve what the White House claims. Surprise, surprise. And many are questioning if the border spending would merely usher illegal immigrants into the country faster while changing nothing about the underlying failed policies that encourage illegal immigration and put the nation at risk. Joining me now to discuss this is U.S. Senator John Cornyn of Texas. He serves on the Senate Finance Committee, the Senate Judiciary Committee, and the Senate Intelligence Committee. Senator Cornyn, welcome to Washington Watch. Great to be with you, Tony. You were on the floor earlier today expressing concerns about this proposal from the president. Tell us why. Well, um, we know that uh, the Biden border policy has really been an open border policy, and we've seen roughly 7 million migrants coming across the border. Many that, in fact, most don't have any legitimate claim to be here. Um, But because of the volume of cases, the backlog in the immigration courts, many of them have been released into the interior of the country uh, and may or may not ever end up in front of an immigration judge. And then there's 108,000 Americans died of drug overdoses last year, 300,000 children who are essentially lost to the Biden administration, unaccompanied children placed with sponsors. 
Nothing in this request would change any of the policies that have given us the worst border crisis we've seen in American history. Well, given, Senator, the, the heightened concern with the conflict now in the Middle East and possibly sleeper cells in the United States, I mean, last month, just last month alone, 18 people on the FBI terror watch list were caught coming across the southern border. That uh, brings the total to, I think, about 169 over the last 12 months. Of course, that doesn't account for the terrorists in the 1.5 billion or so gotaways. Um, right. Is this not... A, a major concern for us right now, given what's happening around the world? Well, on 9-11, uh, 2001, 19 terrorists uh, killed 3,000 Americans in uh, Washington, D.C., excuse me, New York, and in uh, Pennsylvania. Um, so you can only imagine that if we've detained this many that have come across, we've actually identified as such, how many more have likely gotten across? The easiest way to get into the United States these days, if you're a foreign national, is not to get a visa, it's to show up at the foreign border and claim asylum. Indeed, one border sector, the Yuma sector, a sleepy little agricultural community, told us that they have welcomed people from 147 different countries in the last year alone. So this is, uh, this is a notorious problem, but the Biden administration apparently doesn't care because if they cared, they would do something about it, and I'd be happy to help them, but they don't seem to care. Well, let us let me ask you about that, Senator Cornyn. Is there going to be any dialogue about this? I mean, this is very deceptive that they're saying, look, we need $14 billion. People are concerned about the southern border. But it's really just to expedite people coming into the country, as I understand. It has nothing to do with actually securing the border. Uh, you're exactly right. And uh, I will not vote to spend one more dime in pursuit of President Biden's open border policies. And so what we need is 41 uh, Republicans to tell Senator Schumer that we're not going to proceed uh, to this bill to, that will help Israel, will help Ukraine and Taiwan, even though many of us support those policies. We're not going to proceed to this bill until we get something that actually changes uh, the flow of migrants across the border, that sends the message that you can come here by legal means, but if you want to come here by illegal means in the care and custody of the cartels, uh, you're not going to be able to come anymore. And uh, we're determined to use this as leverage to try to get that accomplished. But, you know, this is the type of politics that, that really disgust people. You have the, the administration here saying they're going to they have 14 billion dollars to address uh, security on the border when, in fact, it's not. And they've they've shoved Israel into here, which does have a lot of support, as you pointed out, from conservatives. Taiwan, very concerned about what China's doing over there. But those are just fractions of the total amount of money, $60 billion going to Ukraine. There's not unity on what's happening there. So is there going to be an effort to try to separate these funding bills? The uh, Appropriations Committee, the full Appropriations Committee, is going to have a hearing next week. I believe it's either Tuesday or Wednesday and hopefully scrub this bill to see what is truly an emergency and what is not. I don't expect there to be unanimity on this, but I will tell you that unless there is a solution, or at least a partial solution, progress made on stopping this uh, flow of migrants and drugs across the border, that uh, we're not going to proceed to the rest of the bill as attractive as, many, as, as much of it may be to us. I personally support Israel, I think it's very important for us to continue to support Israel, send a message to the world that we have Israel's back. I do believe we need 
a, a better plan to know exactly where how we're going to spend money in Ukraine, hopefully to uh, degrade the, the Russian military. But I worry that some of the so-called humanitarian relief will be diverted by the United Nations to other causes. So we, we need to scrub this request down. That'll start next week, but it'll be an ongoing process. All right, uh, Senator, we're up against the uh, the clock here. we got to wrap it up. But what can our listeners and viewers do to be helpful on this? If they call their senator, their Senate offices, and say, do not proceed to this bill until and unless there are actually policy changes in the Biden border policy that will staunch the flow of migrants across the border. All right, we will do just that. Senator John Cornyn, good to see you. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Tony. All right. Uh, And folks, that number, 202-224-3121. Just happened to have it. 202-224-3121, the switchboard so that you can talk to your senators. All right. A new poll confirms what many of us have noticed in our country. Rising anti-Semitism. We're going to talk about it next here on Washington Watch. Stay tuned. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clausen, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. According to a recent Harvard-Harris poll, 51 percent of 18 to 24-year-olds believe that the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel, listen, were justified due to the, quote, historic grievances of the Palestinian people. It's difficult to overstate how barbaric and bloody these terrorist attacks on civilians, including the elderly and babies, were. Yet a majority of the college-age cohorts in this country say that was justified. 
When asked about rising anti-Semitism in the United States yesterday, as we played at the top of the program, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre dismissed such concerns while veering into a monologue on Islamophobia. Not to be outdone. Not to be outdone. The Southern Poverty Law Center's labor union released a statement this week characterizing the Israeli response to being attacked, the, the attack that they, or the, their response to the attack, was a form of genocide. Now, how should Christians respond to the rise in anti-Semitic beliefs and actions? Well, joining me now to discuss this is Rabbi Yaakov Menken. He's the managing director of the Coalition for Jewish Values. Rabbi, welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to see you. Good to be back with you. Thank you. How do you explain the ideological capture that has taken over so many on the left, leading them to, I can only describe as anti-Semitic views? It's not just anti-Semitic, it's anti-civilization. You have to look at this and be appalled at the level of craziness and then realize that Nazi Germany used to be considered the deans of civilized society. And this is, you know, look at the direction that they went in. And then you realize, well, I guess we're going in the same direction again. Because everybody understands that something like rape, for example, can never be justified. As soon as you try to contextualize the rape, it's obvious that the, the, the individual doing so is a barbarian, that that is evil, despicable. There's no there's no two ways about it. And then over here, you have people justifying rape on a mass scale that also included crimes like beheading, not only beheading soldiers, but beheading babies and violence against not only women, but the elderly and children, and of course, just people living in their homes, and just gunning down people at a music festival. When you find people marching in favor of all that, you definitely see that America now has a problem. No, I, we, we've become very calloused and I think desensitized to, to violence in our culture and society today. But, you know, war, uh, you don't kill Civilian. I mean, this this is, it's just, well, I, 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 I'm going I'm to eat up my time on that. I, I want to go to the the labor union of the Southern Poverty Law Center, and, and I want to quote from their statement that they released. We support the ongoing call for a ceasefire and the end to the occupation. Now, th- that's what struck me. How is Israel occupying Gaza. They've turned the keys over to them. There aren't any Jewish people living in Gaza. It's their land. They've had their own government. And they're the ones that have facilitated this terror that is now running Gaza and has spilled over into Israel attacking innocent civilians. It's simply rewriting history. It's always been that way. Just calling Arabs Palestinians is racist and exclusionary. It says that Jews are not Palestinians, where that's kind of inverting 2,000 years of world history. Ever since the Romans applied that European colonialist name to the land of Israel, it was primarily Jews who were known by that title. So the whole thing is fiction from beginning to end. The idea that there's an occupation of Gaza, exactly as you said, there are no Jews in Gaza except for 220 hostages. Right. Those they are were, the only Jews allowed in the country. They were forced out. 
They, they, they had to leave their homes, their businesses, and they gave complete control, lock, stock, and barrel to Hamas, well, to the, to the Palestinians who elected Hamas as their leaders. Let's look at what, what, what does exactly, what, what does a ceasefire mean in this context? It means allowing Hamas to regroup and rearm without releasing the hostages so that further atrocities can happen. It's very clear that what they're after is not peace. But actual barbarism, in fact, right. anybody who really cares about Palestinian Arabs would not want them under totalitarian rule, like is in true in Gaza. They can't choose what to believe. They can't choose what to say. They can't choose whom to marry. Everything is controlled for them by Gaza's rulers. Yes. Whereas, you know, the, obviously, these people then are not promoting the rights of Palestinian Arabs or anything good for them, they're just promoting further killing of Jews. Right, and, and, and Christians, the, the few that are there, are oppressed by the Hamas. Now, I, I, Rabbi Menken, you know, we've worked together before in the past, and I, we're about out of time here, but um, how can Christians viewing and listening to this program, how should they be praying for and supporting um, our Jewish friends? Well, saying psalms like 79, Psalm 82, these are psalms that talk about uh, the destruction and oppression and, you know, concern for the Jewish community. Those are always very good. We have to pray and realize that there is so much that and when we push for values that we are really working together, the same yes. people who are oppressing Jews on campus are the ones pushing Christian organizations you, you, off of campus. You are absolutely right. Anti-Semitic behavior is the canary in the coal mine, as we've talked about before when it comes to religious freedom. Rabbi Menken, uh, you're my friend. Thank you for joining us today. Good to see you. Thank you so much for having me back and appreciate that. Look forward right. to the future. Okay. All right, folks, uh, this is breaking news as the uh, the House of Representatives, the Republicans, still fractured and trying to find a leader. We're going to get the latest as they regroup at 6 p.m. this evening. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution 
what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. FRC celebrating 40 years with Ambassador Sam Brownback. FRC is a unique institution. I see that FRC's role going forward becomes even more important because the culture has moved so aggressively against a traditional set of values. And we're not talking about imposing values on anybody. We're talking about allowing people to practice values. And that's what, what FRC is has stood for, that's what it's standing for, that's what it will stand for in the future and why its role is just so critical. That was our good friend Sam Brownback, former ambassador at large for religious freedom uh, under the Trump administration. Prior to that, governor of Kansas. Prior to that, senator from Kansas. Prior to that, congressman from Kansas. Great guy. Great guy. Good friend. Okay, so I'm going to try to bring you up to date where we stand on this 21st day without a Speaker of the House. Now, the Republican conference, they met last night and they heard from, uh, I think it was eight candidates. And then a couple, one dropped out overnight. And actually, I think a couple dropped out. And then they, they, uh, they had a, a conference this morning beginning at 9, PM, uh, 9 a.m. And they whittled it down to, uh, to two. And it was uh, Tom Emmer who is the majority whip from Minnesota, and it was Mike Johnson of Louisiana, who is the conference uh, co-chair, vice chair. So Tom Emmers, by by about 10 votes, uh, emerged with a majority, uh, and so he became the nominee. But because he had some really bad votes, in fact, uh, when it comes to the FRC action scorecard lifetime rating, he had the lowest of all of the candidates that had put their names forward. And it was primarily because he voted for the the, uh, Disrespect for Marriage Act. He also uh, voted for uh, transgender military policies, uh, also voted to uh, legalize, uh, well, the Safe Banking Act, we talked about that yesterday, connected to, to marijuana. So he realized he couldn't get the votes. He was about uh, 21 votes short of the 217 needed to, to move to the floor. And so just before we came into the studio 
for today's program, he withdrew his name. So in about um, 15 minutes, the Republicans will regroup and uh, they will once again take up this process. Now, what will they do? Well, joining me now to talk about this uh, is Congressman Greg Stubbe from Florida. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee and the House Select Committee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. He represents the 17th Congressional District of Florida. Congressman Stubbe, welcome back to the program. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to see you. Okay, so you, uh, did I get that right? Is that where we are at this point? That's where we are. Yeah, so um, 15 minutes ago, every person that wanted to run again submitted their names. I haven't seen that list yet. In 15 more minutes at 6 o'clock, we're going to go back down and do another candidate's forum. Um, My guess is Mike Johnson has put his name back in. Jack Bergman had said he was going to put his name back in. I wouldn't be surprised if Byron Donalds, Kevin Hearn put their name back in. Uh, And we'll have another candidates forum, which is each member who wants to run um, has a speech, says why why they want to run. Members have the opportunity to ask questions of those people running. And then I would hope, um, unlike this week where we separated it and then did a vote the next day, I would hope we would go straight to a vote. And um, then whoever gets the majority again, like Emmer, would probably do a roll call vote to see where they are. So what uh, kind of walk us through the conversation that was taking place in uh, you had the candidate forum last night. They all made their best uh, pitch. Um, What what was the dialogue like going in there? Well, I mean, it was all, you know, each candidate saying their different positions on things. But today um, there was 26 of us, myself included, who. Uh, wouldn't vote for Emmer on the floor because of his positions on marriage, uh, transgender policy. Um, and I, I just can't bring myself to vote for a candidate like that on the floor. He realized he couldn't get there, so he, he withdrew his nomination. Um, um, Mike was at um, 97 votes, so I think he's probably kind of the front runner at this point. We'll have another candidate's forum and then see where we go from there. I, I, I just don't think that there's any members that dislike Mike Johnson, I think he's in a really good place um, to, to move forward. I mean, this really is a difficult job when you consider 221 Republicans from different districts. You've got a very conservative district. Now, Emmer, his district's not so conservative up in Minnesota, but I agree with you. Uh, he would be a step back for the party, for someone who has actually supported the redefinition of marriage, transgender policy, among other things. And so I think you're absolutely right. He he would be, I think, devastating to advance someone like that. But it's going to take someone who can bring both sides of the party together. Yeah, and I think Mike's one of the few people that can do that. Um, he has a very conservative voting record, and he has a leadership role within the leadership. Uh, I don't. I, I think the conservatives are very willing to vote for him. There was actually a motion from uh, some of the less conservative members to just go ahead and have a roll call vote for Mike Johnson. There was an objection to that. We went through the procedural stuff where we ended up with the candidates forum. But I, I think the majority of the conference now is um, supportive of Mike Johnson. The, the question is going to be, is the 
the more moderate side of the conference going to be okay to move forward. But I don't think there's a single member of our conference that can say anything bad about Mike Johnson. He has a conservative voting record. We have to find somebody that conservative support and the establishment, more older members of our conference, more moderate members of our conference support. And at this point, I think that's Mike Johnson. Well, Congressman Stubbe, if, if not Mike, and I've known him since he was in law school, so I've known him quite some time and he's on the program a lot. If not him, I mean, who, who else is there? I mean, you've got to find a speaker. Yeah, if he ends up not getting there for some reason, um, Byron couldn't get there. Kevin Hearn couldn't get there. Um, I think we have another forum where we new names maybe that are willing to do it. Um, but, you know, there's not a lot of people that want to put themselves out there to be able to be in this position to have to negotiate against Chuck Schumer and uh, Joe Biden. And uh, it's, it's a challenging position to try to govern with a far right majority. And you have moderates in the conference that are in plus 10 uh, Democratic districts. So you have very moderate Republicans in Democratic districts, very conservative Republicans to try to thread that needle is very, very challenging. And uh, I think Mike is one of the few people that would be able to will- that would be able to accomplish that. So, Congressman Subi, let's let's uh, let's leapfrog beyond that for just a moment. Let's talk about the work that is ahead for for Congress, because, look, we're 21 days into this with no speaker. It's not realistic to think that we're going to be able to get appropriations bills out. There's going to have to be some temporary funding mechanism to get us uh, moving forward. That's what triggered all of this before. Is there going to be agreement in the conference that, look, we got to do A, B and C to get us to a point where we can get our footing again? Yeah, we don't have a choice now. November 17th, uh, the next, the last CR that I voted against uh, will then come due. And so we're going to have to fund the government. And so you've got appropriations issues. Obviously, the first matter at hand is the war in Israel. Uh, Obviously, we want to pass resolutions and bills that support our ally Israel on the floor, which I'm sure Mike Johnson supports. Um, But the funding mechanism comes up November 17th. There's no way that we can walk through all of the other appropriations bills that we have left in, what, three weeks to be able to pull that off. So there's going to be a conversation about what type of continuing resolution is passed. The Senate, as we sit here, are working on some type of um, stopgap resolution or continuing resolution. I don't know how long that gives money to Ukraine. Uh, Israel and Taiwan, which I don't know how Taiwan and and Ukraine is tied with Israel, but that's what the Senate's doing. Um, So we're going to have to send some type of proposal over there to stand against um, some of the very leftist policy that the Senate's going to send over to the House. But you can't do the individual appropriations bills. You don't have time for that. So I would support like what we passed uh, the 28 percent uh, discretionary spending reduction right. and uh, or the Limit Save Grow Act, I think, would be a good compromise to push through the House, which cuts spending and put that on the plate of the Senate. Well, I would hope that you can get uh, all of your colleagues to go along with it. I thought that was a good way forward last time. It's essential, I think, this time. We had Senator Cornyn on earlier in the program and Senator Marshall from Kansas discussing the president's request for $105 billion, lumping Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, border all together. I think there is uh, there's at least, you know, uh, Cornyn's in leadership over there and he suppresses uh, suggests there is strong interest in separating. So I think if the House takes the leadership and sends over, um, you know, a a kind of a, a proposal to fund Israel apart from Ukraine, it may stand a chance. 
Well, we have to take leadership. We control the House. Republicans have to take leadership on these type of issues. And we've already sent an Israel funding bill in our defense appro- or in our foreign affairs appropriations bill that we passed weeks ago that put $3.8 billion uh, in funding for Israel. But of course, Chuck Schumer is not going to take that up because it has conservative principles in that bill and it cuts overall spending. So they're not going to take that up. So I think the House needs to stand firm, help our Republican colleagues in the Senate and send a clean Israel supplemental bill over to the Senate. And then there's other work to do to fund the government before November 17th. You served on the Foreign Affairs Committee uh, in the last Congress. Let's talk a little bit about Iran. Uh, This is, you know, I was talking with uh, Senator Marshall earlier in the program. Our schizophrenic foreign policy, I mean, we fund Palestinian Authority, Hamas, uh, who attacks Israel. They, They use this money through the Palestinian Authority to poison the minds of children to hate Jews. Uh, we release money to Iran. They then attack our allies. This makes absolutely no sense. No, absolutely no sense. The Biden administration gave the Palestinian Authority like $300 million. That absolutely went to funding the Hamas terrorist attacks against the Israelis. Then they opened up $6 billion in funding that went to Iran. I've signed on to multiple letters and bills that would freeze that money from what the Biden administration has done that has funded these attacks that you're seeing from Iran militia groups in Iraq, on our service members, in Israel. Uh, All the things that they have done has been an appeasement theory, and you can't have an appeasement position as the president of the United States in this administration against a terrorist regime. You have to stand strong like the Trump administration did on foreign policy. You didn't see any of these wars, any of these type of attacks when Biden was president because he was strong on foreign policy. And we have a weak uh, Joe Biden in the White House that doesn't stand for anything but appeasing our enemies and giving them million, hundreds of millions of dollars that then are used to attack our allies. Well, we've also seen our own troops now since, the, since Hamas invaded Israel, and that conflict has started. We've seen our own troops in Syria and Iraq being attacked by those that are funded and supported by uh, Iran. Um, Are you concerned when we see reports that there are sleeper cells, even here in the United States, that this could escalate to even higher levels of violence? Oh, 100%. Because of Joe Biden's open border policies, we've had over 150 known terrorists that have come into our country. And Mayorkas won't even tell you if they've been released back into our country or deported. So that tells you exactly the policy of of this administration. We've had 6 million illegals. We've had like 1.6 million gotaways. Uh, You know there's terrorists that are involved in that. You know they would love nothing more than to attack a target here in the United States. Uh, So absolutely, we are at high risk for those type of activities here, 100% because of the policies of this administration on their open border policies. All right, uh, Congressman Stubbe, I know you've got to go to get to uh, another commitment to the conference. Uh, Very quickly, um, handicap it for us. Do you think we'll have a speaker come tomorrow? I think so. I think Mike Johnson is a very good place. Uh, I support him moving forward. I think he's somebody with a very conservative background that can unite both the conservatives in our party and the more moderate members in our party, and we can move forward and do the things that we need to do for the budget and for Israel. All right. Congressman Greg Stubbe, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks. Congressman Greg Stubbe of uh, Florida. All right, folks, uh, another prayer item. In fact, 
Now would be the time to pray. They're going to be gathering here momentarily to begin uh, this deliberation. They will have, once again, as uh, Greg just described, they're going to have a candidate forum. That means all of those that are putting their name forward. And as I came in here, I knew that uh, uh, Ken, uh, uh, that Kevin Hearn of Oklahoma, who is the chairman of the Republican Study Committee, was going to jump back in. But he uh, fell short of, uh, of Mike earlier today when they went through that elimination process. So as, as uh, Congressman Stubbe pointed out, Mike Johnson starts with um, the, the strength, and there were those that even wanted him just to, to be voted on without another forum. That said, there was objections, there's gonna be a forum, that means they're gonna present their case again, they'll go through this process, and then hopefully they will go to the floor with a speaker, a conservative speaker, who can get 217 votes. So be praying that the Lord would raise up a leader that has spiritual insight and political understanding that emanates from that spiritual insight. That's what our nation needs. That's what the world needs. So be praying, folks. Also, as we wrap up today, let me once again remind you to file your comment with the EEOC as they want to make it a crime to use the wrong pronoun in the workplace. You have until November the 1st to file a comment, and they have to read all of these. So the more they get, the more it slows them down. Text the word speech, speech to 67742, that's 67742, and let your voice be heard. Folks, our republic is not for spectators. It is for participants. So be involved, be informed, but be involved. All right, that's all we have time for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Lord willing, we'll be back again tomorrow night. We'll be hearing from actually Senator Lindsey Graham just returning from Israel. He joins us tomorrow. Until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.